When it comes to adhering to standards, working within regulations and ticking boxes, companies are pretty great. It's how they are set up and it's how they're used to thinking. But starting around 10 years ago, companies and organisations were asked to look at the world and the work they do in a very different way. Countries began to press companies to consider the impact of their work and their decisions on society and the world at large. In the UK, this started with the Social Value Act of 2012, which required people who commission public services to think about how they can also secure wider social, economic and environmental benefits. The UN Sustainable Development Goals were launched in 2015 to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all people and the world by 2030. And this international drive is getting stronger and stronger as the public becomes increasingly conscious of sustainability. The UK, for example, tightened its legislation and mandated that social value be evaluated for public works tenders. We covered this exactly 50 episodes ago in episode number 106, a beginner's guide to social value, which we've linked to in our show notes. But companies are struggling to get to grips with social value. Assessing it, understanding it, it's turning out to be complicated. It's a beast. At least partly because it's a human thing. And sometimes, if not approached carefully, it will not benefit those who need it most. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. In this episode, we've partnered with Atkins to learn what it takes to not just implement social value, but the right kind of social value. Doing public good is easy enough, but getting it right is another thing entirely. In this episode, we will learn about some of the things to be aware of and some of the ways in which companies are already doing better than they expect. But before we put things right, we need to appreciate how important getting that shared collaborative experience right is. Investing in the relationships with the stakeholders determines the outcomes rather than a particular intervention. Some time ago, an organisation was building an extension to a prison. And within the social value activities, they wanted to deliver training opportunities to some of the prisoners. And so it was, it was one of its first kind of projects that was working inside a prison. And so there was a lot of thinking and a lot of talking to the people who worked at the prison about how this could operationally happen and what were the trades that were going to be most useful to the people who were going to be going through the training. This is Sarah Lambshead, a social value lead at Faithful and Gould. And a really great scheme was set up where the people who were inside the prison who were able to take part in the training course were taught a particular trade that they would be able to take out into the construction world post leaving prison. And the idea behind that was, great, this will solve lots of issues because it gives a real sense of achievement and self-esteem for the people who are undertaking the training inside the prison. And also when they come out, they'll be able to get a job and hopefully that will mean that they won't end up back in prison again and there's going to be lots of social value created. Everything was great. 
That is, until the organisation came to evaluate the success of the project. And discovered that actually nobody was getting a job in the trade that we'd been training everybody in when they came out of prison. And that was because it didn't matter how brilliantly trained they'd been in that trade. When they came out of prison, no construction company was employing them because it was impossible to get a CCS card, which you need to have to work on a building site if you had a criminal record. So only after talking with the people themselves and following up on their journey after they'd been through this scheme, were we able to discover that a massive key part of our intervention was missing. And so we then went back and we redesigned and we created part of the programme that enabled them to acquire a CCS card that was endorsed by the construction company so that when they came out, they not only had the trade, they also had the ability to get a job and work on a building site. If they hadn't checked, they wouldn't have found out that their efforts were wasted. We could have gone for years training people up in that particular trade, ticking a wonderful social value box and, and writing lots of wonderful case studies about it, but would we actually have been having the impact we thought we were having? No. And we only learnt that because we talked and we listened and we refined. This idea will be really important throughout the episode, so hold on to it. I remember reading this article that said construction's kind of like a circus. It comes into town, it comes into your town, they set up this, this big tent, like these big hoardings around, but I'm like a circus, you're not allowed in. This is Michelle Baker, Associate Director for Social Value at Atkins. Her background is in the contracting side of construction, which has a longer history of considering its impact on local communities. We do rock up and we put ourselves in these communities, but we don't really get to know those communities and we're there for a few years. And I was always really interested in the Considerate Constructor Scheme because for me, that's kind of the very basis and essence of social value from, you know, that was set up to change the image of construction. Now, the interest in social value is proliferating partly because of recent changes in regulations, and we covered those in episode 106. A lot of experts in this field have come from that construction management background. So I've set up a network for the social value people within the consultancy organisations like ACOM, Atkins, uh, Jacobs, Mott McDonald's, who else is there, Arabs, because I know that most of these people have all come from the same background as me. Michelle wanted to bring these people together because as the field expands, it's becoming more complicated and they need to find the best way forward. A current challenge is identifying what the current state of social value is because, actually, construction companies are doing a lot already. So there's been a lot of, a lot of reaching back into our organisations to find this data of our apprenticeships, the skills and employment, the volunteering we do, the donations that we give, and, and I think that's taken up quite, quite a bit of the time in, in our organisation. Collecting data to showcase what is being done and bid writing to reflect social value activities are both a current focus. Because often companies will not realise that they are delivering this value already. 
So once you actually start interviewing people in that sort of way, then they suddenly realize, well, gosh, you know, we, we do all this amazing stuff actually. And it is about trying to, um, yeah, capture that data, which, which is a big, a big task in itself. So we are actually, you know, we've got some working groups that are looking at specific, I like to call them swim lanes of activity. One of them is how to go about developing some corporate commitments and key performance indicators to gather data against. So that's kind of the journey that we're on. It's sort of, you know, looking back into the organisation, what do we do already? Who owns that data? How can we capture that data? How can we record that data? And then moving it forward to be able to, to capture it going forwards. Quantifying the value of one benefit of a project versus another is a matter of project appraisal and the Office of National Statistics Green Book. There are also a number of industry tools available to do this. Michelle is currently working on a project that's trying to decide the location for its primary facility, and this requires some socio-economic investigation into the needs of the candidate regions, and at the same time, whether the potential sites would suit the needs of the project. And it's really interesting because once you sort of dive into data, so this particular client that we're talking about, I, I guess what you want is you want to go into an area that is going to boost that boost that area by giving them jobs and it's going to have the, the right sort of population and the right research and development. And the right age demographics. For example, a retirement community would not be the best location to create jobs. There is so much data available to inform modern decision making. Data and information to give back to that client to say, well, actually this, this area looks like it's got great universities, access to transport, research and development. So this area could be quite successful to put your project in because it, it meets those needs that you have. Whereas if you're looking at an area that doesn't have those things and, you know, the nearest transport hub is 50 miles away, are people really going to drive 50 mm. miles to there? Um, and then I guess, you know, that's just during the construction phase. Then you've got to look at it as, is this an attractive place for people to come and want to, to live and work there for the next 20 years on these on these projects? One danger in this case might be the creation of a false town, artificially boosting the economy of a region that will not be sustainable once the project's been completed, resulting in future economic depression. The intelligent use of social value is absolutely critical for prosperity. So by getting all this socio-economic data, we can really start to analyse whether a place is suitable for particular clients to go put their projects there. So. Um, so again, that data is really invaluable. And Michelle emphasises that what she calls the bookends of social value are where we need to focus, the strategy and the evaluation, because we're already very good at the doing. Sarah, who told us the story about the prison education programme earlier in the episode, has a different focus. A lot of the time, social value is weighted at the corporate side and it becomes legislation that the corporates understand how they have to navigate what they need to do to win bids what they need to do to be able to deliver on social value commitments but sometimes it ends up with social value being done to someone rather than with someone there can be a danger that we focus on responding to the procurement questions in front of us and not the people and communities that the project will ultimately impact 
Sarah works to try to bring the private sector to the community, consulting what she calls community experts on how a company can shape its social value offering around what's most meaningful. And these experts can be any number of community-based organisations, charities, government departments. And the earlier this is all done, the better. I've got a phrase that, that comes up for me a lot, which is that prevention is better value than cure. And that the more we can get social value activities upstream as early on as possible in the design process, the more meaningful they will be because it takes into account the community consultation process. In relation to someone like Faithful and Gould, who I've just started working for, and who are part of the same family that Atkins are, they often go into a project as a multidisciplinary consultant. So they have access points to projects from before REBA stage zero and all the way through all the other REBA stages. REBA, the Royal Association of British Architects, has eight stages in a plan of work. Stage zero is strategic definition, followed by preparation and briefing, concept design, spatial coordination, technical design, manufacturing and construction, handover and in use. So they have the opportunity to be able to work as designers and architects, project managers, cost consultants, from developments that, that are nowhere near being actually put on the ground. So working with a local authority or a developer to ascertain what the project needs in terms of core deliverables. But also being able to have community consultation with as many people as possible that are going to be affected by the development. You also need to be mindful that when designing something, if you can, if you can understand what some of the challenges already are in that area, you can design in solutions from the beginning. If you are designing a development that already takes into account ambitions for clean air, for transport that doesn't require cars, for green spaces and places for people to sit and to walk and to meet, to gather places where children can be free to play and are allowed. A lot of spaces we have at the moment designed with children completely forgotten about. They're not designed with children in mind and, and that's a really good place to start because children don't have much of a voice a lot of the time. If you design for the most vulnerable groups, it often ends up being better for all. Because something that's designed to be used by anybody tends to be a, a more superior product in the first place. Recent legislation has focused on helping bring out the qualitative aspect alongside that quantitative side that construction companies in general are so good at. I think we all know that, that data isn't what changes minds and that your data is only ever as good as the story behind it. And I think that that's where the qualitative aspect that's now being drawn out of social value rhetoric is really important because bids are now, you know, the procurement side is now asking in its bids for you to demonstrate the qualitative alongside the quantitative. So you can't just put data in around numbers of apprentices or 
people helped on back into work schemes or healthy eating campaigns if there isn't any story about the people behind those numbers. So I think that the community consultation piece runs all the way through a project. It's not just something at the beginning, it's something that also you keep in touch and you, you create space for people to be able to feedback and that you continue that co-creation relationship because then you can also have the relationships where you can ask for feedback, you can ask for stories, and you can find out where something has had an impact. And sometimes there are going to be unintended consequences. Sometimes there will be a negative impact from something that has been done. And it's really important to be open to that being a possibility and that that's then a learning place and you know how to how to approach something better the next time. But again, this is something that's it's it's a, a newer concept for a corporate organization. But social value is really along with things like EDI. Equality, diversity and inclusion. Along with sustainability, you know, the whole ESG package is really helping companies to to become more compassionate and more human outcome centred in their approach. And Sarah thinks there has been a substantial change in corporate culture in recent years, as well as from a society that is demanding these new things from business. There is, there is definitely a lot of change. And I think that post-COVID-19, the last two years, have really helped accelerate a movement that was already underway. There was already a move towards a more diverse and flexible approach to how people worked and who was employed. And what kind of skills were considered important. A lot more emotionally literate leadership model is being embraced by most organisations now. And again, the sustainability movement has really helped pave the way for new ways of doing things that seem like obstacles at the beginning, but when they're embedded, become business as usual. And everybody then realises that actually you've got better business because of it. I think we're moving towards a time where everybody is more clued up. Everyone is more keen to interrogate organisations beyond their PR, beyond what they publish about themselves. The consumer has a lot more power these days when they're choosing a product or a brand or a service and that is exactly the same in the built environment. People are, are looking and interrogating and asking for more. And I think a lot of the organisations are, are filled with people who also want that and they want to do that. They want to have this purpose beyond profit within their job role. So you've got an internal demand for it as well. The people who work for those organisations want it. Your customers and your clients want it. Why would you not do it? <laughs> And it's lucky that there is this societal movement for social value, because Sarah feels that more is still needed from politicians. The industry had been eagerly awaiting the levelling up white paper from government. Even the term levelling up is a problem. I think it's a really misguiding term, because if you've ever... There's levelling out, there's not levelling up. You can't level something up. Have you ever tried to even level a teaspoon of sugar? You shake it 
and some things fall down until you get a level on the top of that teaspoon. What we're, what we're really talking about in social value is leveling out. It's leveling the playing field. It's making things equitable and fair. And it's trying to mitigate structural inequalities through any means possible. The built environment has so many entry points into the structure of society that it can affect change. If you approach social value with its real intention and what Social Value UK and other think tanks and organisations who are independent and are, are trying to, to help the social value movement along with lots of other movements that are trying to make this decade of opportunity that we've got right now and some might say it's the decade of the last opportunity <laughs> that we've got right now to truly try and get a handle on how things can be different. I think that social value offers that opportunity, that bridge for the profit-centred or the traditional models of, of where power lies and where people sit within that it offers it an opportunity to connect. If we take the drive for a net zero economy as an example, if people with a lack of power are not taken into account, then we'll never even achieve it. So we really should be taking things back to basics. We should be looking at how, how do you achieve net zero? You can't achieve it just from an environmental perspective. You ha it has to be aligned with what social value is trying to achieve because social value will tell you that you can't just say people can no longer do something or people have to change their life or people have to start doing something differently to reach the net zero when the poorest people already don't have opportunity to be able to do that. So net zero needs to adopt an approach that opens up opportunities in the green jobs market, for example. It needs to bring everyone with it or it fails. OK, so what about a takeaway for a company that's worried it's waited too long to start looking at social value? It wants to begin, but it seems like a lot. Where should it start? Here's Michelle. Well, again, I, I suppose it's... Um what what's going to be really achievable for them and realistic you know let's 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 not just make things up and and um yeah i guess it's baby steps about what what they can do again going back to those local needs and priorities what what can you do that is going to maximize the benefits of your project I was on a on a in a workshop yesterday, and someone gave an example of if a, if an organisation came in and they wanted to refurbish the bathrooms, I don't know, for some student accommodation. It's going to be very difficult for you to think about social value on that. You what you might be able to do is get a local supply chain to come in and refit those bathrooms. That that's might be what you can do. But anything environmental net zero, it's pretty going to be pretty hard. Michelle was sitting there and musing that people are still thinking too simplistically. And I said, well, actually, there is some stuff you could do for um, biodiversity on that, because what you could do is you could take all the, that whiteware that's come out of those bathrooms, you could donate it to a school or a, an environmental organisation, a, a gardening club, you could do it to a, um, an allotment, and you could actually reuse those baths and, dare I say, toilets if you want to, and, you know, to create like gardens, couldn't you? 
So it's not going to landfill. It's increasing biodiversity in a sense. And you could use your organisation's volunteering days to go and work with those local community groups to develop that and, and make a little, I don't know, veggie garden out of a bath or something. Again, it goes back to thinking things are too complicated and, and actually you can make it quite simple. So little things like that, just really thinking outside the box. What I also found within my organisations too is sometimes in the past, people that aren't involved in social value can come up with some brilliant ideas and things like that. So it's about having that dialogue within your projects as well to um, come up with ideas and outside the box thinking. So it's not just um, generated by one person and, and sort of put these challenges on the table. Can we do something? Can we recycle these products that might go into landfill? Is there a local organisation that would take them? And I guess that takes time to find those things out, but it's kind of worth it. The only risks are not starting early enough failing to communicate, and a failure of imagination. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Bernadette Ballantyne. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our own greater good is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, Atkins, a member of the SNC Lavalin Group. And thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. And don't forget to check out our website and sign up to our newsletter for the latest engineering announcements and developments from around the world.